Okay, so as we move into the play session do's and don'ts, it's so important for you to have this as a reference point because there's going to be so much swimming through your brain your children are going to be unsure you're going to feel a little nervous it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable for everybody so it's extremely helpful to have this as a go-to reference point a cheat sheet if you will where you can kind of read over this before you begin just get it fresh in your mind here are the things i should be trying to do purposefully and intentionally here are the things i want to avoid and that will give you a little bit of comfort in knowing how the session should be structured. So there are eight do's, eight don'ts. We will look at each one of them individually. Remember though, at the very top in the italics, your main goal, the main task that you are focusing on is to show interest in your child's play. And when you do that, you communicate back to your child that you are interested and that you understand whatever their thoughts feelings behaviors desires needs all of those that are emerging you just want to show that you're interested in and that you are understanding of those things giving your child undivided focus the rest of these are far less important than communicating that remember be with attitudes i'm here i hear you i understand and i care so i'm trying to figure out what this means for you the do's and don'ts help structure that and facilitate that, but it is far more important that you stay focused on showing the interest and attention and understanding. So how does that look? What does that look like practically speaking? Eight do's. First and foremost, obviously you want to set the stage. So that involves several things. You want to prepare the play area ahead of time. That will already be set up. You will already have everything ready. Blanket will be put on the floor. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be a blanket. can be anything to show a visual boundary. So it can be a sheet, a quilt, a blanket, an area rug that is already in the room. Anything that shows a visual boundary for where the play area will take place. And it also protects your floor. So if you have hardwood or carpet or whatever you have that you don't want to get ruined, it also serves as that protection layer. A cookie sheet is helpful for going under the arts and crafts and the materials. Baking sheet, cookie sheet, tray of some kind, dinner tray, doesn't really matter what you use, but it's helpful to make sure that there's an area where the crafts can take place without fear of anything getting ruined. So that would probably include Play-Doh, markers, paints, anything that's messy. So that will all go on that cookie sheet. So you will have all of that prepared ahead of time. In a moment, I will show you how to set up the toys, but don't worry about that just yet. So you also want to display the toys in a consistent manner around the perimeter of the play area. What that means is there are three categories of toys like you've seen in the toy list from last week. And so once you have those three categories, you want those categories to be set up exactly the same each week. Now, Fear not, you do not have to have the handcuffs first, then the army men, then the knife, then the mask. It doesn't have to be consistently in order, it just needs to be on the same area of the play area. So if you set up with the aggressive toys 
on the left side the first week, you will continue that placement each week, but the order of the toys is not necessarily consistent. So you will keep groups consistent and categories consistent, not necessarily each individual toy. You want to make sure you convey freedom through your words for the play session. So a really helpful phrase, during our special playtime, you can play with all the toys in most of the ways that you'd like. It's extremely important that you communicate to them, yes, there are boundaries, but you don't need to know what those are. So you can play with all the toys in most of the ways that you'd like. And if there's an instance where the way that you would like to play with that toy is not appropriate, then a limit will be set. But the only thing that needs to be said is most of the ways that you'd like so that they know if you need to set a limit, you already set that expectation. And finally, you will return responsibility to your child throughout the entire play session. In other words, that's up to you. You can decide. That can be whatever you would like it to be. So when a child says, what's this called? You get to decide. How do you use this? You can figure it out. Well, what do, how do you open this thing and then what do you do with it? You get to decide, you're in charge, that's up to you, you'll figure it out. You want to return responsibility because remember, we are not experts in these special playtimes. So they have the responsibility to name, figure out, declare, whatever the scenario is, they're in charge. So that is how you set the stage. So that is do number one. Do number two, you will let the child lead. And we talked about this at the very beginning when we talked about the be with attitudes. We want to communicate that they are in charge. They have the ability to decide how to lead and then we follow with those reflective responses. So when we allow him to lead or her to lead, it gives us a better understanding of our child's world and what the child needs from us. So what does that look like practically speaking? You want to convey your willingness to follow by the way that you respond, such as show me what you want me to do. Oh, you want me to put that on. Now, here are a couple of bonus hints for you. Sometimes it's difficult to know what to say, especially when our minds are scrambling with which skill I should be using at which moment, and by the time we figure out which skill we're supposed to use, they've moved on to something else and it's time to use a new skill. So we all know that that is frustrating and difficult early on until it becomes a little more practiced and easy. So here are a couple of helpful tips. I wonder statement is going to be your favorite phrase. We use it all the time as play therapists. Instead of asking a question, you use an I wonder statement if you want the child to further direct your actions. So the child says, you have to go to jail and then says nothing else. Well, that doesn't leave you with a whole lot of direction. So allowing the child to lead instead of saying, well, where's jail or where do I go or what do I do? Because those are questions. You can use an I wonder statement. I wonder where the jail is. Notice that I lowered my voice into an almost whisper because you will see a whisper technique is also a helpful little nugget. So, when you want to get more information, if you whisper it, it comes across as you're in it together and you're co-conspirators in the process. 
So it's not perceived as a question that puts them in their minds. It's part of their play. So you use I wonder statements and whisper techniques so that they are able to further direct and further guide what you should do, say, et cetera, et cetera. So when the child wants you to play a role, which will usually happen if it's collaborative play, so I'm the cop, you're the robber, or you're the good guy, I'm the bad guy, or whatever the roles that the child wants all of you to assume, you would use those whisper techniques and I wonder statements to get more information. So I wonder what I should say, or oh, what happens next? Because you want them to further lead and direct how that goes. Make sure that if the children are older, you modify it a bit so that it seems more like a conspiratorial tone. So, oh, what happens now? And you, obviously you take your child's age and the situation into account with the way that you respond, but letting the child lead is crucial and those are really helpful ways to do that. So moving on to do number three, you want to join in the child's play actively, but as a follower. You'll see there's a common theme here. So as you are communicating that you are following the child's lead, you actively join in the play when asked. So if the child says, I want you to be the mom, I want you to rob the bank, whatever they would like you to do, you are essentially the actor. So you respond back to them, oh, I'm supposed to be the teacher, or you want me to be the robber, I'm supposed to wear the black mask, etc. I'm supposed to pretend I'm locked up in jail. So you basically refer back to what they're telling you and you just comply with whatever they communicate is part of their play. And that is another helpful opportunity to use the whisper technique when they are expecting you to say things. So, you know, they may have something in their head that a robber is supposed to say, don't shoot me, I'm innocent. Well, if you don't know that the child wants you to say that, you could say, I'm not sure what to say next, or I wonder what the robber says. And then that gives the child the opportunity to help you with the dialogue that, you know, they feel should be a part of their play. Okay, so do number four, verbally track the child's play. Remember, three reflective responses, track behavior, reflect feelings, reflect content. So here is how you track behavior. You say what you see. It's a really easy phrase. There's alliteration. It makes it easy to remember. So say what you see. That is tracking the child's behavior. You are essentially letting them know, I am paying close attention and I'm not only interested, I'm also involved. So you're filling that all the way to the top. The child is pouring the beans into the cup and it gets all the way almost to the top edge and you say, you're filling that all the way to the top. You've decided what you want to paint next. Oh, watch this, and they paint a flower. So you say, you decided what you want to paint next. They line up all the army men ready for a battle, and you say, you've got them all lined up just how you want them. So you are literally just tracking the behavior, describing what you see them doing. That's probably the easiest because kids are always doing something in their play. So you can default to tracking behavior and it keeps it easy for you to know how to reflectively respond.
you all also want to reflect the child's feelings. That's what we've been practicing leading up till today. That's why we did that week one, because they will also show emotions. So you want to reflect their feelings. You want to help them feel understood. You want to communicate your acceptance of their emotions. And that's just the way that you stay engaged. So you really like how that feels. You wish we could play longer. You're proud of that. That surprised you. You don't like how that turned out. You sound disappointed. So remember again, back to very beginning of week one, you look into your child's eyes and you say you feeling word qualifier. So whatever they are feeling, you will get a really good clue based on making eye contact with them and seeing exactly what they're expressing. But this is a perfect opportunity to really hone that skill, practice reflecting feelings. I know you have been, but your 30 minute play times gives you the perfect opportunity to really focus on that. And the final reflective response is reflecting content. So you say what the child says. So they say, I'm going to shoot the bad guy. And you acknowledge that, oh, you have a plan to shoot the bad guy now. You want to make sure that you don't sound like a robot and you don't sound like a parrot. So you want to modify it enough, summarize it enough, paraphrase it enough that they won't accuse you of copying them. You'll hear that a lot. Stop copying me. Or you don't want them to feel that you're just saying back exactly the same thing they said to you because that gets frustrating. So change it, summarize it, paraphrase it enough that you're saying, I hear what you're telling me. And you say that back to them without it sounding like it's an exact mirror copy. So those are your three reflective responses. Those are your go-to tools in your pocket for how to make sure you're communicating. I'm here, I hear you, I understand, and I care. All right, so do number six, set firm and consistent limits. Obviously, we have not quite gotten into the full limit setting process yet. That will happen in week four. But you did get that initial awareness of what it looks like. Child's name, I know you'd like to do this. I'm reflecting your feelings, but the, here's the neutral limit. Now I'm going to offer you an alternative. So you do want to make sure that you set limits for a safe and predictable environment. That's very important in play that kids know that they have safety and that they have predictability. So your limits are really to serve those two purposes more than anything else. Children should never be able to hurt themselves or you. And you are basically using limit setting as an opportunity to allow your child to develop self-control and self-responsibility. And as parents, as adults, caregivers in your child's life, you know that what you wish for them more than anything is that they would have self-control, that they would take responsibility for their actions. That is exactly what limit setting does. And so you get the benefit of setting the boundaries. They get the benefit of learning to self-control. So you will use a calm, patient, and firm voice, and you will set the limit. Here's another example of that. The floor is not putting Play-Doh on. You can choose to play with it on the tray. So I know that you'd like to play with the Play-Doh, that's okay, but the floor is not for putting Play-Doh on. So you can choose to play with it on the tray instead. Same process as before, they reiterated the shooting the gun at me limit right there as well. So now you have two examples of how that looks. Again, don't worry about that too much because next week we spend a lot of time on that. 
Okay, do number seven. Make sure that you are saluting the child's power and encouraging their effort. What does that look like? When you acknowledge their effort, when you encourage them, and by the way, we don't get to the full encouragement skill until week eight, so this is a little bit of a, this is what you will do throughout the rest of this process during these play sessions, and some of these we've not spent a lot of time on yet, so it's okay to not fully know what these mean yet, we're just trying to introduce you to some concepts so that if they come up, you might remember to use them, but no pressure. So you want to use encouragement because it builds your child's self-esteem and it builds their confidence, it builds their self-worth, it builds their value, it builds so much of their identity and it also promotes self-motivation. In other words, they want to do the right things because it feels good to do them. So how do you encourage the child and recognize their effort? You worked hard on that, you did it, you figured it out, you have a plan for how to set those up, you know just how you want that to be, you know a lot about how to take care of babies. Notice the common thread, the phrases start with you, just like the reflecting feeling skill, you feeling word qualifier, what is the outcome of those messages, I am focused 100% on you. You are the most important thing. You have all of my attention and you are at the focus of everything that we're doing right now. So those encouragement phrases, so important. When your child does something in the playtime, try to use those as much as possible. Recognize their effort, encourage them. You did it, you got it, you figured it out, you didn't give up, all of those kinds of phrases. And your last do, be verbally active. Now, here's a helpful frame for how that might go. Because I've done this a really, really long time, and I know that initially at least, and even sometimes even later in the process, parents get tongue-tied because their brain gets ahead of their mouth, and their brain is cycling through, oh, I should reflect a feeling, oh, but I could also track behavior, oh, but I, I could reflect content there too, and oh, I should probably encourage that effort, and, so all of these things will be swirling through your brain and then you end up saying nothing because one of two things, you're either afraid of saying the wrong thing or you are trying to figure out the perfect thing and then by the time you figure out what it is, the child's doing something else and then you have to forego what you were going to say to say something new. So those are all really common scenarios. Parents will go through that pretty consistently. Another, another possibility is the parent just really is uncomfortable with what's going on and so they say nothing because they're not sure how to handle their own discomfort. So those are the three most common reasons why parents are quiet in sessions. Here's a helpful time clock in your head. You want at the beginning to try to be verbally active at least once every 30 seconds. Now, you may go, oh my gosh, that's so many, it's 60 times in, a, in our play session. How am I going to say 60 different things in a play session? I'm letting you off the hook because I typically respond in the playroom about every three or four seconds. Five usually is my, my cap. If I go longer than five seconds, I'm really distracted by something else. So you have a whole 30 seconds to figure out what you'd like to say and how to be verbally active. Here's a really helpful way to make sure that you can do that even if you don't know what skill to use. Let me tell you why it's important to be verbally active and then I'll get there. You want to make sure that you are communicating to your child that you're interested and you're involved. And the 
byproduct of being quiet is they will feel watched. And the purpose of this play session is not for you to watch your child play. The purpose of this play session is for you to be engaged, involved, and invested in what's going on. And it is relationship building and it's communication building and it's trust building. So if you just sit and you're silent, the child feels that you're just watching them as like a, you know, passerby. And that is not the intention of this at all. So when you are not sure what skill to use, when you get tongue tied, when you get flustered, when you're uncomfortable, empathic grunts, terrible name, I know, but empathic grunts are a really helpful tool to have in your toolbox. So here's what that looks like. You basically make a verbal acknowledgement without necessarily saying a word, a phrase, or using a skill. So they, that would look like, hmm, oh, ah, I see. Any kind of, I'm saying something so you know I'm aware, I'm paying attention, I'm engaged but I don't really know what else to say. So they're called empathic grunts. You essentially just use them when you're not sure what to say, but it still conveys involvement. So any kind of, oh, ah, I see, hmm, hmm, whatever response you wanna give that's just kind of a verbal noise, it still communicates to the child that you're paying attention, you're aware, and you're engaged and invested in the playtime. So those are your eight do's. I know it feels like a lot. I know it's a little overwhelming. The good news is part of your homework is to make sure that you read over these right before you conduct your first session. So this will be fresh in your mind. You'll get a really easy recap of everything you should try to keep in mind. And again, back to your note at the top, your interest, your intention is to show interest and to communicate that you are trying to understand and relate to your child. So this is how you do that, but that is, these skills and these do's are far less important than just being there and being engaged and invested and interested. So don't put a whole lot of pressure on yourselves. This is just, these are the things you should try to do. And then now we'll move into the things that you should not do. So you should not criticize any behavior. You can absolutely set a limit if you need to set a limit, but there should be no criticism of behavior. Do not praise the child. As I mentioned before, with your do number seven, encourage effort and try to recognize, you know, the things that they're doing. That is in contrast to praise. Again, we don't get there until later in the training but try as much as possible not to praise the child. You only want to acknowledge effort. So you did it, you worked hard, you figured it out, you didn't give up. Not what you think about what they did, which would be good job, that's awesome, oh, that's amazing, you know, any of those kinds of praise phrases. We'll tease all that apart later as well. Don't ask questions. We've talked about that before. Remember, if you know enough to ask a question, you know enough to make a statement. So do not ask questions. Do not allow interruptions. This means proactively ahead of time, no phones, no doorbell, no siblings, no pets, no bathroom breaks, all of those things. Take care of all of that ahead of time so that there will not be interruptions. Do not give information or teach. Remember, you know nothing in these play sessions. You are on an equal ground as far as your knowledge as the child. So you can't give information or teach because you don't know any of those things. Don't preach. Don't initiate new activities. 
This is a very difficult one if the child is doing something that you are really uncomfortable with. They are shooting you, they are shooting a baby, they are handcuffing you and putting a mask on you and tying you up and you just really feel awkward and uncomfortable. That is when parents will typically say, oh, I think we should do a puzzle or whatever, just so that they can distract from what's going on in the session. Remember, your child leads, you follow, so do not initiate new activities. And then finally, do not be passive or quiet. That goes back to do number eight. Be verbally active, use empathic grunts if you need to, use the skills as much as you can. Don't be passive or quiet. Now, after all of that, eight do's, eight don'ts, little overwhelming, here's your takeaway. At this bottom, the remember the be with attitudes, your intent is the most important thing that you convey. And if you convey, I'm here, I hear you, I understand, and I care, your do's and don'ts are far less important than them walking away going, my parent was with me, they heard me, they understood, and they cared for 30 minutes straight. That is a success and a win, regardless of how many of the do's and don'ts were or were not there. Finally, the box at the bottom, your reminder. These play session skills, everything that you're learning, everything you're trying to apply, all these tools we've been talking about, these are meaningless if you apply them mechanically, rotely, like you're talking from a script, like all you're trying to do is check your boxes. If you are not being genuinely empathic, if you are not being genuinely involved and invested and interested and in truly understanding your child, the skills are meaningless. So please don't go into this saying, okay, I'm just gonna make sure that I reflect a feeling, I track behavior, I track content, I do these things. If you just do it meaninglessly and just as a robot, it will not work. It will not have the same impact. So your intent and your attitude are far more important than your words. So let that be an encouragement to you. The pressure really is off because if your intention is I'm going to be with you, I'm here, I hear you, I understand, and I care. The rest of these can honestly be forgotten if the outcome is the child feels that they felt those things. So don't put pressure on yourself, don't be hard on yourself, it's okay, it's a learning process for everybody, and over time, all of these will sit in the pocket and they'll feel a lot more comfortable, but at the beginning it can be a little bit difficult. So th that was your do's and don'ts for the play session. In the next part, we will talk through the play session procedures checklist, so I'll see you then.